If you are just tuning in with us, again, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bellmead United Methodist Church. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're here today. You'll see in our post a way to sign up for our newsletter. That's the best way to learn about our church, or you can follow our Facebook page, and we would just love to have you be a part of this community. On Ash Wednesday, we began our new sermon series called Graves into Gardens. This title comes from a contemporary worship song by the same name. It is a proclamation about the God we serve, the God who turns our mourning to dancing, the God who gives beauty for ashes, the God that somehow turns our shame into glory, the God who takes the graves that litter our lives and turns them into bountiful gardens we could have never anticipated. If you are new to the church, Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent, a time in which we follow Jesus closely, his ministry, his death and resurrection. We began Lent and our series in the first garden that God created with the story of Adam and Eve. Through examining that narrative, our narrative, we saw and claimed two things. God created us and called us good, and so we are inherently good. And God intends us to live a life without shame. Today we do join Jesus in the wilderness as he is tempted and tested for 40 days and 40 nights. He is led there by the Spirit dripping with the waters of his baptism. Now the number 40 is of course significant. It calls us back to Noah to Moses, to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. It is why Lent is 40 days long, not including Sundays. We find Jesus hungry. I imagine very hungry. We are told he fasted those 40 days and nights. And so the first temptation from the devil is to turn stones into bread and fill his belly. But Jesus says, one does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. So then the devil takes him to the holy city, places him on the tip top of the temple and says, throw yourself down and call on God to send angels to catch you. God says, Jesus says again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So finally, the devil takes him to a high mountain and they look out over the kingdoms of the world and the devil says, all of this I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus says, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the story ends with my favorite line. The devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. One morning a few months ago, I got up while it was still pitch black outside. I got in my car and made my way to Percy Warner Park. It's just about 10 minutes from my house. I love to start my day there. When I parked in the parking lot, there was only one other vehicle. I knew that other people were out there even though I couldn't see them. I had been on that two and a half mile loop many times before, so I literally felt my way up the path of thick tree roots and pushed past spider webs to make it to the trailhead. In the dark, I was scared, and I thought to myself, 
What if someone attacks me? What if I can't hear them approaching me? Can I outrun them? Will this tiny fruit knife in my pocket make any difference? I pushed on because I knew the light was coming, and with it, my fears would be relieved. Soon I would feel the rush of those endorphins and the way that my soul eases up when I start my day among wild things. With every step, the pinks and oranges and blues began to rise. The birds sang and the squirrels scurried, and I could hear my steady breath as my lungs took in the goodness of being alive. See, what we know about the wilderness is that it can be both beautiful and terrifying. It holds a dualistic nature, a capacity for good and a capacity for evil. And deep within the throng of the tempter's evil scheme is where we find Jesus today. If we embrace his full humanity as we should, we can imagine that he, like us, felt the beauty and the terror of those deep woods. He must have encountered moments that made him tremble and worry and question himself. And he must have had the moments of taking in the majesty of trees and wild animals and angels. Jesus doesn't just cognitively know the fears and temptations of the wilderness we face. He has felt them viscerally, deep down in his bones. He is just like us. Indeed, this is what the text tells us. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. He was famished. Jesus knows what it's like to be depleted and tired and in need of sustenance. He knows how physically, mentally, and emotionally draining the wilderness feels. I start here today because I think it's important for where we are now. I realized this week that the pandemic began for our church on March 15, 2020. We are less than one month away from 365 days of not being able to, get, to gather together as we would like to. And I remember us beginning last year's Lent, acknowledging this new wilderness that we were about to face, having no idea that we would still be in the thick of it one year later. Like Jesus, some of us feel like we have been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Like the Israelites, some of us feel that we have faced the fear of food shortage and toilet paper shortage. We've wandered and grumbled. We've tried to fill the empty desert-like wells of our spirits with water from a rock. This wilderness has brought us both beauty and terror. And thinking about Jesus being hungry and famished just made me wonder, after this long of a journey in the wilderness, what word or words best describe your being? What underlying condition makes it hard for you to resist the temptations that arise in this pandemic? Are you exhausted, apathetic, mad, famished? 
See, I think it's helpful for us to consider that question so that we can understand why we might more readily give into things or people or situations that we would normally be able to resist. For example, I've noticed in myself lately that there is an undercurrent of anxiety. I am not really an anxious person, but there are several situations in my life right now that I find myself constantly stewing over. I'll admit that I'm a person who likes to be in control. I don't like it when my thoughts and my emotions inside me feel like chaos. And so I am tempted to zone out on my family and get lost in my interior life. I'm tempted to be busy instead of sit in the presence of God and allow those anxieties to be tended to and destroyed by truth. I am tempted to rely on my own resources and thinking instead of asking for help. What underlying condition makes it hard for you to resist the temptations that arise in this pandemic? See, as a wise spiritual director told me once, you must begin where you are, not where you wish to be. And so we must begin by examining and understanding and identifying the underlying feelings that feed our behaviors and actions. Now, we know that even though Jesus was hungry and famished, he had the strength and the resolve to resist the temptations of the devil. Take a close look and you will see his weapon of choice. Jesus answers the devil's cunning use of holy text by showing us which word of God has greater import. Jesus pits scripture against scripture. In fact, Jesus primarily pulls from Deuteronomy chapters 6 and 8. Deuteronomy is the most frequently quoted book of the Torah in the New Testament. And I found it fascinating to look back at the context of Deuteronomy 6. Listen to these verses that come right before Jesus' direct quotations. Love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart and soul and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Worship your God only. Do not put God to the test. I don't think it is a coincidence that Jesus' first response is to point to the need to be saturated in God's word and God's will because it is what fuels him to resist everything that the devil throws at him. The devil wants Jesus to salivate over bread, but he knows God is the only one who fills our hearts and bodies with what truly satisfies. The devil wants Jesus to be a spectacular stuntman, but he knows that God isn't into our performative faith or our desires to be superstars. The devil wants Jesus to succumb to the wealth and power and prestige of this world, the allure of owning buildings and people and things, but he knows that God's kingdom is the only one that provides what the human heart deeply needs and craves. It has the greatest riches. And so Jesus 
shows us that to avoid temptation, we must depend on God for spiritual sustenance. We must saturate ourselves in Holy Scripture. God's words must be on our heart, impressed on our children, a part of our conversations at home, when we walk, when we work, when we lie down, when we get up. We should go as far as to make symbols and reminders that adorn our homes and are even bound to our bodies. And so I ask you, are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for the Word of God? This isn't about reciting verses for show or having the head knowledge of content and context. Is Scripture stored in your heart? Can you viscerally feel it in your body? Does it make a difference in your life? Is it your source of strength and refuge? Is it what eases your soul when you lie down at night and chaos swirls around you? Is it what comforts you? when the doctor delivers bad news. For Christmas a few months ago, my husband Mark and I bought our son Lewis a doctor's outfit. Now it was complete with a shot, a reflex hammer, an otoscope, I had to look that up, <laughs> and a stethoscope. Now Lewis mostly played with that stethoscope at first. He pulled out his stuffed animals, he placed, placed it on his ears and started checking out his new Christmas Mickey and his toddler-sized Tigger. Soon he transferred to mommy and daddy, placing it in odd places like our arm and the middle of our chest. Just this week he pulled this stethoscope out again and he stuck it around his neck for some reason instead of his ears and he placed it on my chest. We both listened intently as it made this noise. Without even thinking, I looked at him and I said, how's my heart, Lewis? And he said, it's good, Mommy. Lent is the season in which we ask, how is my heart? Lent is the time where we make sure our hearts are in tune and intertwined with God's heart, that our arteries and veins and ventricles are in sync with the purposes and passions of God's, that God's commandments beat in our hearts and inform our actions. It is the way that we resist temptation, survive the wilderness, and continue to hand ourselves over to the kingdom of the God, kingdom of God instead of the kingdoms of this world. Finally, if you are at a place in this wilderness where going on just feels too terrifying, if you are tempted to give up and to lose hope, remember that just past the darkness there is beauty, and even in the darkness there is help. Jesus resisted giving in to evil. He refused to throw himself off the temple and let those angels catch him. But God still sent angels to wait on him, to tend to him and care for him. Even now there are angels among us in this wilderness. They often look like our closest friends, family members, co-workers and neighbors. For me, it's my son who pulls me out of myself by singing a song at the top of his lungs or draws me into his joy as he laughs and screams riding a sled down a hill. 
It's my husband walking to the grocery store in the snow and the way that he comforts me when I'm scared. Are there graves in this wilderness? Yes, but there are gardens too. Both beauty and terror, both angels and demons, both hunger and heart checks. Thanks be to God. Amen.